In Exodus, we read the story of how Moses became a prophet. While tending the flocks of his father-in-law, he came upon a burning bush that was not consumed. The Lord spoke to him from the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here am I. The Lord then commanded Moses to remove his shoes and introduced himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry, and I will send them thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses was concerned about his weakness, and that he was slow of speech. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. From the foundation of the world, God has always made his will known through his servants, the prophets. Prophets like Moses, Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Elijah, to name a few. They received God's will through revelation, and then revealed it to the people. Following that same pattern of revelation, Jesus Christ organized his church while he was on the earth. He called twelve apostles and others to help him minister to the people. Before his death and resurrection, he asked his apostles who other people were saying that he was. By this point in his ministry, his fame had spread, and many knew of him. His apostles answered that some said that he was John the Baptist, and others Elias, or Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. The Savior then asked, But whom say ye that I am? Then Simon Peter responded with all the conviction that this righteous and special apostle had to offer, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In one of the most tender moments recorded between Jesus and his chief apostle, the Messiah responded, Blessed art thou, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In these few short verses of scripture, we learn much of the Savior's plan for his church on the earth. We learn that he desired it to continue after his death. We learn that revelation would be crucial to how that church would be run. And we learn that Peter was to be the prophet who would receive the revelation for the entire church. Unfortunately, many people did not want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter was crucified by the order of the Roman Emperor Nero. Tradition holds that he felt unworthy to suffer crucifixion in the same manner as Jesus, and so requested to be crucified upside down. The other apostles whom Jesus Christ had called were similarly killed or removed from public life. The authority to act in God's name, what we call the priesthood, was removed from the earth and there was no prophet to receive God's will for all his people. The earth was plunged into the era we call the Great Apostasy. During this time of darkness and confusion, spiritual knowledge was difficult to obtain. Men and women struggled to understand the scriptures. Debates were held by scholars on such basic principles as the nature of God and the purpose of the fall. During these debates, the majority won, and it was determined from the Bible that God the Father and Jesus were the same individual, that God was some external force that could fill the immensity of space. The general population had difficulty relating to this new understanding of God, and so Mary, the mother of Jesus, became someone they could worship. 
She was a physical being that they could relate to. In other debates, it was determined that mankind is inherently evil and under condemnation as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, what is referred to as original sin. As a result of that, infant baptism became crucial, and if a child died without being baptized, they would be lost forever. Small changes occurred that led to bigger and bigger changes, until the so-called Christian church that was operating at that time had no resemblance to the church that Christ had organized. Due to the many differing opinions that occurred during these debates as a result of differing interpretations of the Bible, it was felt that the general population could not understand the Bible on their own. By 500 AD, the scriptures had been interpreted into over 500 languages, but by 600 AD, by official decree of the Catholic Church, scripture was only allowed in the Latin language. Recognizing the need for the common man and woman to have access to the Bible, many men devoted their lives to making the Bible more accessible to the general public. In the 1380s, Joseph Wycliffe translated the Bible to English. This so angered the Catholic Church that 44 years after his death, the Pope ordered that his bones be dug up, crushed, and scattered in the river. Jan Hus rose up in opposition to the Catholic Church and established a new church in the Czech Republic. He was eventually captured in 1415 and was burned at the stake using Wycliffe's manuscript Bibles for kindling. Historical records state that while burning to death, he testified, In 100 years, God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. 102 years later, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses of Contention to the church door in Wittenberg. This became the first religious movement that the Catholic Church was not able to fully suppress. On the 6th of October, 1536, William Tyndale stood trial for the crime of translating and publishing the Bible in English. He is best known for his quote, If the Lord spare my life, I will see that the boy who drives the plow knows more of the Bible than the Pope. Later, he was tied to a stake and uttered his final prayer, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. He was then strangled and his body burned. Three years later, Miles Coverdale would complete the first complete English Bible. This Bible was put in every church in England. It was chained to the altar and readers were provided for the illiterate. This was all done by order of the king of England, Henry VIII. In 1611, the King James edition of the Bible was released, the same version that we use today. These men and others, who we call reformers, gave up so much of their time, and most of them gave their lives for the religious freedom of others. Their efforts allowed for the eventual creation of a country where church and state were separated and religious freedom was a constitutional right. This country is the United States of America, and in that country, on December 23, 1805, in the state of Vermont, Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Mack Smith were blessed with a son. They called him Joseph, after the name of his father. I have always found it interesting that they waited until their third son to pass on the name of Joseph, already having two sons, Alvin and Hiram. The religious freedom that was protected in the U.S. resulted in many different Christian religions. These religions all claimed to have the truth as taught in the Bible. Yet they all understood the same verses of scripture so differently. A 14-year-old Joseph was confused by all the confusion. 
If there was only one Bible, why were there so many different religions? He was one day reading in the King James Version of the Bible and came across James chapter 1, verse 5 that reads, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Speaking of this experience with the scriptures, Joseph later testified, Never did any passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did. For how to act, I did not know. At length, I came to the conclusion that I must either remain in darkness and confusion, or else I must do as James directs, that is, ask of God. 200 years ago, early in the spring of 1820, perhaps on a day just like today, with that firm determination in his heart, Joseph entered a grove of trees near his family's farm early so that he could ask of God. He knelt down and began to pray. He described his experience of what followed in these words. I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Joseph saw God the Father in his son Jesus Christ. Joseph was told that none of the religions on earth at the time contained the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This miraculous event would later be known as the first vision. There are many things we learn from the first vision, including that God the Father and Jesus Christ are two distinct individuals. Joseph Smith, a simple farm boy, now knew more of the nature of God than the Pope himself. But perhaps one of the greatest lessons is that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love and care about us and want us to know the truth. The truth of the reality of the Son and the Father would carry Joseph through much persecution. He said, I had seen a vision. I knew it, and I knew that God knew it, and I could not deny it. In the words of one of my favorite EFY songs, one prayer answered, changed the world. One evening over three years later, Joseph was once again kneeling in prayer, this time in his bedroom. While praying, he noticed a light filled his room, and then a person appeared within the light. This angel introduced himself as, Moro as Moroni and said that God had a work for Joseph to do. He said there was a book deposited written upon gold plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent and the source from which they sprang. He also said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it as delivered by the Savior to the ancient inhabitants. Joseph was told where to locate this book, a place called the Hill Cumorah by these ancient inhabitants. The next day, Joseph went to the location where he was told the book was hidden, and there unearthed the gold plates that contained the record known as the Book of Mormon. He was informed at the time that he was not ready to take the plates, but that he should return every year until the time came for him to obtain the plates. He did exactly that for four years until eventually he obtained the plates. Less than two months after his first visit to the Hill Cumorah, Joseph's oldest brother, Alvin, died. This would have a lasting impact on Joseph and the rest of the Smith family. 
They feared for the salvation of Alvin's soul, as he was never baptized, and due to the traditional Christian teaching of of original sin, they thought him lost forever. After receiving the plates with the divine gift of God, Joseph commenced with the translation of the record into English. He was assisted in this by several different scribes, one of which was named Oliver Cowdery. One day, while translating the record, they came across a verse speaking of the importance of baptism. The question was asked amongst themselves as to how they should be baptized. Joseph did not know. But thanks to his previous experiences, he knew how they could find out. On May 15, 1829, they went into the woods to pray. While Joseph and Oliver were praying, a messenger from heaven descended in a cloud of light. He introduced himself as John the Baptist, the same individual who had baptized the Redeemer of mankind. He laid his hands upon their heads and ordained them, saying, Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron, which holds the keys of the ministering of angels and the gospel of repentance and of baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. They were told to baptize each other and did as they were told. The first baptism by one who held the actual authority from God to perform such an ordinance in nearly a millennium and a half. The power and authority to act in God's name was once again held by mortal men on earth. This priesthood authority has allowed men to be baptized for the remission of sins. Sorry. This priesthood authority has allowed me to be baptized for the remission of sins and has allowed me to baptize my oldest son. Later in that same month of May, three of Christ's original apostles appeared to Joseph and Oliver. That same Peter, that Christ had given the keys of the kingdom, as well as James and John, conferred upon Joseph and Oliver Cowdery the Melchizedek priesthood. The higher priesthood has been an immense blessing in my life. Today I would like to share two personal stories of its impact in my life. My father was a volunteer fireman. One day after putting out a house fire, he entered the house with another fireman named Wayne to try and determine the cause of the fire. For some reason that day, he did not have his protective gloves on. While they were inside, the house fire started up again. The firemen still outside did what they were trained to do and tried to put the fire out. Unfortunately for my father and Wayne, it meant the house filled with steam. They began to frantically search for an exit, and to add to their misfortune, their oxygen tanks began to beep, giving them warning that their oxygen levels were running low. Eventually, they found a door, but unfortunately, the door included multiple deadbolts and several chains to keep it locked. Without gloves, my father could not touch the hot metal, and he began to try and break the door down. This effort used up the last doors of his oxygen tank, and he soon passed out from the lack of this essential element. Wayne was much smaller than my father, but with a strength that only adrenaline can provide, he managed to break the door down. My dad was rushed to hospital where the damage to his hands could be assessed. He had second-degree burns over most of his hands, and the doctors began to discuss the possible skin grafts due to the extent of of his burns. Two fellow firefighters who were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints laid their hands on my father's head and gave him a priesthood blessing of healing. His hands healed without scar or blemish. 
My father has taught me many things with his hands, and I am thankful for the priesthood authority that was restored through Joseph Smith. When my wife Rachel was younger, her mom fell asleep at the wheel and went off the road at highway speed. Rachel was significantly injured in the accident and was rushed to hospital in McGrath. At the hospital, she was quickly assessed, and, she f and f they felt she had multiple injuries, including a fractured spine and pelvis. Rachel's father was an auxiliary cop and was one of the first to respond to the accident. There in the McGrath Hospital, my future father-in-law laid his hands upon my future bride's head and gave her a blessing of healing. Rachel was then airlifted to Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary. There it was determined her only injury was a broken leg from which she healed without complication. One of the greatest blessings in my life is Rachel and the strength of her testimony and I am thankful for the priesthood power that was exercised that day that helped her in the development of her testimony. Joseph continued his translation of the Book of Mormon until it was eventually published in March of 1830. On April 6, 1830, under the under the direction of Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith organized the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that same church that Jesus Christ had organized during his mortal ministry was once again upon the earth with a prophet of God to receive revelation for the entire church and all of mankind. I bear my witness that this church is that same church and continues to be led by a living prophet today, even President Russell M. Nelson. Not long after the church was organized, the commandment came to build a house unto God, the Kirtland Temple was built for just such a purpose. Although never used for the full purposes of why we build temples today, it was the site of many miracles. Before the dedication of the temple, Joseph had a marvelous vision where he saw his brother Elvin in the celestial kingdom with God. The soul of his brother that he thought was lost due to his lack of baptism was not lost. Joseph questioned how this was possible and heard the voice of the Lord testify. All who have died without a knowledge of this gospel, who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the kingdom of God. A loving God has provided a way for all his children to return to him. Shortly after its dedication, the Savior appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in the temple. Following his appearance, Moses came and restored the priesthood keys of the gathering of Israel. Elias came next and confirmed conferred the keys of the gospel of Abraham. Finally, Elijah appeared, fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi as he conferred the keys of the sealing power, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Now with the proper keys of the priesthood to perform the ordinances, the doctrine of baptism for the dead and other ordinances were further clarified. This is a doctrine that has definitely impacted my family. My Grandpa Wolf's family moved to Cartston when he was young. The family story is told that, they, that when they moved, there was soon a knock on the door, and they were greeted by a neighbor. When this neighbor found out that my Grandpa's family were not members of the church, this likely well-intentioned neighbor told them they should move because we only want LDS members in Cartston. My great-grandmother made her children promise that they would never join the church, a promise which my grandfather kept. He married a good girl who was a member of the church, 
and had five children, but he never joined the church. As he was dying from cancer in the hospital, the decision was made to withdraw care and make sure he passed away comfortably. The doctors informed my father and his siblings that they expected my grandfather to pass away overnight. He was still alive the next morning and would hang on for another month until one evening he told my dad that he could perform his work in the temple for him after he died. He passed away that night. Shortly after his death, members of my family gathered in the Cardston Temple, where my oldest brother Chad was baptized vicariously for my grandfather. I leave it to God to determine the validity of my grandfather's literal deathbed repentance. I was too young to attend the baptism, but I am thankful for the sealing power and the doctrine of baptism for the dead that allowed his work to be done. Joseph Smith received many other revelations and doctrinal understandings that I simply do not have time to discuss today. One of the near constants in his life and the life of the early saints was persecution. This persecution drove the saints from Kirtland to Missouri and eventually to Nauvoo, Illinois, where they enjoyed a short period of rest from the persecutions. Unfortunately, eventually, the old fears arose and Joseph began to face severe persecution which eventually led him to being incarcerated with his brother Hiram and two other church leaders on charges that they had already been acquitted of twice. Seeing their chance to be rid of the Mormon leader for good, an angry mob stormed the jail where these men were being held prisoner in their second-story jail cell. They came up the stairs and shot Hiram through the door. He fell to the ground, saying he was a dead man, and in fact he was. Perhaps in an attempt to escape, or perhaps knowing the mob's, the mob's target and trying to draw gunfire away from the two other surviving men, Joseph went to the small window that adorned their cell, where he was shot twice in the back from the mob on the landing and once in the chest from the mob outside. He fell from the window to, the, to his death on the ground below as he called out, O oh Lord, my God. Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were murdered on June 27, 1844. The detractors had thought that they ended the church by killing the prophet. A leading New York newspaper carried the story of the martyrdom the next day. The final sentence read, Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet, is dead. Thus ends Mormonism. But once again, Joseph would have the upper hand. He had already testified. No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Persecutions may rage. Mobs may combine. Armies may assemble. Calumny may defame. But the truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent till it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every ear till the purpose of God shall be accomplished and the great Jehovah shall say, The work is done. The validity of this church stands or falls upon the back of Joseph Smith. If the events I have des described today never happened, then the claims of this church are the equivalent of blasphemy and heresy. But if they did happen, then this is the very work of God on earth. I bear my witness that they did occur and are true and that you can find out for yourself the same way Joseph did. That is, ask of God. I am thankful for the prophet Joseph Smith. I testify that I know more of my Savior and Redeemer 
and of God's plan for me than I could have any other way thanks to Joseph Smith. In the words of one of the men who survived that encounter in Carthage jail, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only for the salvation of men in this world, than any other man that ever lived in it. He lived great and died great in the eyes of God and his people. And like most of the Lord's anointed in ancient times, has sealed his mission and his works with his own blood. Truly praise to the man, for he is now crowned in the midst of the prophets of old, and mingling with gods he can plan for his brothers and sisters, for those millions who now know Brother Joseph. And I am sure there are millions like me who look forward to that great day when we shall know him again. For outside of the members of the Godhead and my own family, Joseph Smith is the first person I wish to meet in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.